The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we want to focus on verse 14 again of healing our land. And this is really the message I've been trying to build up to. I felt like I had to give a little bit more context, a little bit more background. But this is really the theme of what was heavily on my mind of why I wanted to consider this. Of We're going to look at Josiah's revival today. But we see in the days of Josiah an exact pattern of what we see in this verse that the Lord says, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, we've talked about drought, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Heal their land. How is the land healed? We're going to see by individual actions of repentance in the level of influence that we have. Now, it just so happens, we're going to see that Josiah was the king. Okay, So he had authority over the whole kingdom. But he impacted the level of influence that he had. He saw his errors, he humbled himself, he prayed, he repented, and he changed and purged out some things, and the result of that is that the land was healed, okay? But that didn't happen by some third party. It didn't happen by God sending this tidal wave of the Holy Spirit down for some external action to happen. No, God moves through his people, right? God moves in this world through the actions of his children and the land was healed by Josiah and by the people's repentance, okay? And then in verse 15, now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that's made in this place. And I think that we're gonna see that in Josiah's day as well, that God is listening. God's listening to our prayers. He's listening to our response and he will listen and he will always respond in mercy to those who are repentant and do their best to live godly, okay? Verse 16, For now have I chosen out and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And that should be a exciting thing, but it should also be a sobering thing that the Lord's eyes are continually watching his house, right? His, his eyes are continually on us, and that can be a great thing, but sometimes it can be not as great of a thing, right? If maybe we're not living as godly as we ought to. If my people would recall by my name, notice this pattern, this is the if, and this is God's, the then is God's response to the actions of his people. What are the ifs? Humility, prayer, seeking his face and turning from their wicked ways, actions of repentance. And what's God's response to that? What's the then? What's God's response to that? He will hear, he will forgive, and he will heal. Okay? So now let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and the life of Josiah. This is also in 2 Kings chapter 22. You may remember, it's been almost a year ago now, um, and our November meeting last year, <clears throat> excuse me, our November meeting last year, Elder Ben Winslet talked about, among a few other characters, Manasseh, about holding your horses, the danger of a snapshot, and the need of why we have to read the whole Word of God and the whole counsel of God, because we find in 2 Kings chapter 21, when it talks about Manasseh, he was a very wicked man for most of his life. He shed innocent blood more than anyone that was before or after him in Judah. 
And in, from that account, just in 2 Kings chapter uh, 21, we see nothing but negative of Manasseh. Oh man, what a horrible goat. Can't believe that he did all that. He's going to burn in hell. Well, actually, when you read 2 Chronicles 33, you find that he repented later in his life. It appears that the Lord borned him again later in his life, and he, and he repented. So I want you to understand, though, Josiah, we're going to find here in the beginning of chapter 34 that he takes the reign at eight years old. Okay, I really want to highlight dates in the life of Josiah. He takes the, the reign at eight years old. Don't you think about his dad, Ammon, okay? Manasseh was his granddad. Ammon was his dad who reigned for two years, okay? He reigned for two years, and then he died. So that means that Josiah was six years old when his dad began to reign. He died, and then he takes the reign at age eight. Now, obviously, at that age, he could not physically... Uh, cognitively make all of the decisions that were necessary to be the king. So he had very good counselors, no doubt, for, during the early stages. But I want you to think about this young child, and maybe, I, I, you know, it doesn't give a, a benchmark of when Manasseh repented, um, but you would tend to think that it would be later in his life, okay? Just maybe the last few years. So Manasseh had lived very ungodly, there was much wickedness in all the land of Judah because of the majority of his reign. But it's almost like Josiah, as this young four to six-year-old, I think that he saw a little bit of Manasseh's repentance and him trying to put away some things that he knew were wrong. But then his dad, his dad, this tells you how important raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is. Let's just, let's just use some random numbers here and make some assumptions. I think it says that Manasseh ruled for um, 55 years. 55 years. So let's just say that he repented in the last two years of his life. Okay? So for 53 years, all that Ammon, his son, knew was just idolatry, Baal worship, human sacrifice, all he knew was wickedness, okay? Now, it's good that Manasseh repented at the end of his life, but at that point, his son's already corrupted. His son has already known nothing but idolatry and Baal worship. So what happens even though daddy repents at the end of his life, what happens with Ammon? Well, he's, he's had 30, 40 years of being ingrained in nothing but idolatry, okay? So uh, Manasseh repents, but then Ammon takes the throne, and he's very wicked for two years. Now he ends up dying. His, his own servants actually conspired against him and killed him. Okay, Ammon was so wicked. But then Josiah gets the authority at age 8. This is the beginning of chapter 34. And it says that he reigned 31 years, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand or to the left. So he takes... The rule at age eight, apparently he had some godly count. They aren't highlighted here in this account, whether it be his mother or some godly leader or governor there in, in Judah that gave him good counsel um, during those young, young years. But it highlights here in Second Chronicles 34 and verse three that in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father, okay? So he took the reign at age eight, and now this is his eighth, eighth year, so he's at age 16, okay? King, at age 16, he begins to seek the Lord. I don't necessarily know if that's when he was born again, but that's when he had a sincere desire to do the things that were right, okay? And then it says... In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So in the twelfth year, he's at age 20. Okay? Age 20. At age 16, he's beginning to have an understanding of an internal conviction of a desire to do good uh, as the leader of Judah. But now, at age 20... He realizes just from his internal conviction, because 
what we're going to find here is in the 18th year at age 26 was when they find the word of God in the house of the Lord. Okay, now that's what really uh, revs up the revival. Okay, but I want you to understand that there was a period of time in his 12th year at age 20 that he began to see through the conviction of sin in his own heart that God had borne him again and God, when he borns his people again, he writes his laws in their heart. And the Spirit of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And there was something internally about the soul and the regenerated heart of Josiah that he knew it was wrong to be worshiping Baal, okay? He knew that idolatry was wrong because it is in direct contradictory in direct contradiction to the first law that's written in your heart. Think about the Ten Commandments, okay? What's the very first Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If God writes his law in your heart, you better believe he writes number one in there, right? So there is something about the born-again child of God. Even if they have no knowledge of the Word of God, if they have never heard the name of Jesus Christ when they are born again by the Spirit of God, there is something about them that is dissatisfied with worshiping something other than Jehovah God. And you know what? They're make, based on the circumstances of their life, they may never come in contact with the Word of God. They may never come in contact with the gospel to know about Jesus. But you know what? They are not fully satisfied worshiping something other than the truth. There's something inside of them that's dissatisfied, okay? And... The Spirit of God was working in Josiah, even apart from the knowledge of the Word of God, to say it is wrong to worship Baal. It is wrong. At this time period, he gets rid of the high places. He gets rid of the altars to Molech where they offered babies. And this I want you to draw this clear distinction between the internal conviction and the changes that Josiah made in this 12th year at age 20 that are based primarily on the convictions of his regenerated heart and then the changes that were made in age 26 in his 18th year that were made primarily from a knowledge of the word of God, okay? So what he did when he began to feel an internal conviction is that he got away, he put away all idolatry. He put away the high places. He put away the graven images. And he put away the place of human sacrifice where they were offering. It's just so hard to fathom that God's people became so deceived by idolatry and by Satan. It says in the Psalms that they sacrificed unto devils. How could God's children be so deceived to think that some God would be honored by them burning their children to death? How could God's people be that deceived? But Josiah makes it clear that if you are following the convictions of the Holy Spirit in your heart and the laws that are written in your heart, God will not condone you taking innocent life, especially of young children, right? I mean, God is life. God's characterized by life. And there's nothing that could, that could be more dishonoring, which by the way, fast forward a little bit. Josiah repents. The Lord tells Josiah, that during your day, I'm going to give you peace, but after your day, I'm going to send judgment. And he says, the reason, the final straw that broke the camel's back was that Manasseh, who was a child of God, by the way, right? He repented at the end of his life. Manasseh shed so much innocent blood that I will not look over that. I will not uh, quench my wrath upon Judah. What was the final straw that broke the camel's back? Now, they've been doing it for a long time, but Manasseh shed more innocent, he offered more innocent babies to Molech than anybody else, and that was finally 
when the Lord said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor Josiah's repentance in his day, but after that, I'm dropping the hammer on these people, okay? And I don't, I do not know the, all of the circumstances and all of the effects um, of where we're at in the life cycle of America as a nation and judgment, but I will say that it's very encouraging that we are now in a circumstance where we murdered babies for 50 years and now those babies' lives are being protected in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I, I can't think of anything that is more encouraging in our culture than that that happened. Now, understand, you still need to be prayerful. You still need to be vigilant because I will guarantee you as soon as there is a Democratic majority in the House and the Senate and in the presidency, they are going to try to codify that in federal law, okay? As so, that's priority number one. And there will come a time where that will happen, just the nature of politics. There will come a time where they'll have control of both parties and the executive branch, and they will try to codify it. So understand, this battle's not over, okay? Satan doesn't take losing very well many times, you see. But our nation as a whole, God will not ignore 50 years and 60 million babies. He will not ignore that. But you know what? As in the time of Josiah, God may delay judgment for a generation if that generation is repentant. Okay? And that's pretty encouraging to me because <laughs> I can't think of anything that is more significant in the cultural decline of America than now we have this amazing situation where now babies' lives are being protected instead of uh, legally slaughtered, okay? But I want you to understand, when a child of God, and I know children of God have committed that sin of abortion, many of them have repented of that and had testimonies to that in the, uh, later on in their life. But I want you to understand that there was something about Josiah's internal conviction of a regenerated heart that he knew it was wrong to kill those innocent children, okay? And every child of God knows that. Every child of God in their heart knows that it is wrong to take the life of an innocent baby. Every child of God knows that. Just like every child of God knows in their heart it's wrong to worship a graven image. It's wrong to worship some other god. And it's really to be commended that Josiah, he got rid of the Baal, he got rid, and he killed the he killed the priest. I mean, get rid of the false prophets. I mean, it's not just good enough that you get rid of the idolatry. You got to get rid of the false prophets who are deceiving the people to worship them. Okay, so he got rid of the false prophets, and it's really to be commended that Josiah got rid of the high places. You know, there are many uh, many of these kings. Uh, you look at the history of Judah, of course, Israel. Northern Kingdom, they only had bad kings. Uh, they never got over the sin of Jeroboam. But the, the southern kingdom of Judah, they had the good king and they had a bad king and they had this constant roller coaster. But even the good kings, even the good kings, it would say, you know, they, they were the, the phrase that's normally used as they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit, they did not get rid of the high places. Okay? So there was some area of life in Judah, some secretive sins that, you know what, we're willing to repent, but this little pet idol that I have of, of, that sitting up here in the high places, I'm not willing to get rid of that, okay? But Josiah got rid of all the high places, and he did that without the word of God. Do you understand that? He got rid of that just through internal conviction. And knowing that it was wrong, okay? So, he tears down the altars to Baal. He gets rid of the graven images. He kills the false prophets. Um, he got rid of human sacrifice. Tore down the altar that's upon the king's chambers. And tore down the false altars that were erected in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Um, tore down the altar in the high places that were set up by Jeroboam. And he even takes, this is, I don't know if it's humorous or just interesting, but he takes the bones of the priest out of the sepulchers and burns them. 
So just in case that you uh, were, were doubting uh, my commitment to rejecting Baal, these old uh, priests that are now dead by now, let's dig them back up and burn them, okay? And he kills the priests that were still living to get rid of the false prophets that were deceiving the people. Another interesting little benchmark in the middle of this, now understand, this happened in the 12th year, okay? Or it began in the 12th year. It may have sped up in the 13th year. We find in Jeremiah chapter 1 that it's in the 13th year of Josiah that Jeremiah began to prophesy, okay? What do you think about that? God will send, you know, he calls on his people to repent. And how does he call on his people to repent? He sends a minister to tell his people to repent, right? So Josiah is having this internal conviction, and I don't necessarily know if he did all of this in that one year, or maybe he was beginning to do some of this, and then Jeremiah started to prophesy in the 13th year, and then he did the rest. But God establishes Jeremiah's ministry, and he begins to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah, okay? So now Jeremiah's been prophesying for about five years, 13th year, and it's in the 18th year, the 18th year, when Josiah says, you know, it's, I really want to, again, highlight the benchmarks of this is what he did based on internal conviction, and this is what he did based on a knowledge of the word of God. But there came a time, maybe from the preaching of Jeremiah, where he said, you know what? Um, I think we need to clean out the house of the Lord. You know, it's a little dirty in there. I know that we, we tore down the altars of Baal, but it needs to be cleaned up. Okay, so they go, and Josiah now has a desire to clean up the, uh, the house of the Lord. And what do they find in the middle of the house of the Lord? What do they find? What do you always, or what should you always find in the house of the Lord? The word of God, right? They found the book of the law. And we have read that book of the law for you together, both from Leviticus and from Deuteronomy, about the Lord's commandments, um, what the Lord expects from his people, and where he says, if you're obedient, I'm going to bless you. If you're disobedient, I'm going to judge you. So he tells his people in the 18th year, Jeremiah's, or, or Josiah is 26 at this time, okay, 26, and he tells them to go clean out the temple. They go and they clean out the temple and they find the word of the Lord. They bring it before him and they read it. Second Chronicles chapter 34, and in verse 18, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and a couple other people, go in verse 21, go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is written in this book. And I can just, we, we read Deuteronomy chapter 28 together, right? That was a reiteration of what was in Leviticus chapter 26. How, how do you think those people felt when they read off Deuteronomy chapter 28, right? If you're obedient, I'm going to overflow you with blessings that you can't even handle it. But if you're disobedient, I'm going to send drought. I'm going to send pestilence. If you worship other gods, this is what I'm going to do. And then Josiah sees... I mean, I, I got rid of some things, you know. I, I, I feel like I've been trying to make some positive improvement, but this is the standard? Wow, we are in abject disobedience. And, and, and not only are we still having shortcomings, but he understood. I mean, I'm glad that I got rid of Baal. I'm glad that I got rid of this. But look how horribly egregious my granddad Manasseh was disobeying the word of God. And God says, I will not forget. I will not wink. I will not look over this. And he understood the gravity of Manasseh's sin, and, and no doubt, not just Manasseh, but generations back. 
And he said, we are on the firing line. We are in the Lord's crosshairs because we have sinned, okay? But what was his response? God will never leave his people in ignorance, okay? He will never leave his people in ignorance. Sometimes we wonder, you know, why do certain things happen in my life? Well, many times, bad circumstances happen just because we live in a fallen world, right? And sometimes in the middle of that, we wonder, you know, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I in sin and, and I'm ignoring something and the Lord is sending judgment? If that is the case, if that is the case, the Lord will never leave his people in ignorance about, now, we may choose to stuff our ears and ignore it, okay? But the Lord will never leave his people in ignorance if you're living in sin and, and he's sending judgment because of that sin, okay? <laughs> I always like to go back, when I discuss this, I always like to go back to Jonah, you know? Jonah knew he was in rebellion, and when he was down in the whale's belly, I don't think that he was in any doubt of thinking, well, you know what? I wonder if this has just happened. You know, this, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of a stomach of a whale, okay, in the middle of the ocean. I wonder if this is happening just because Adam sinned in the garden, and this is just the general disposition of, you know, if you get sick, that's the general disposition of this world, okay? That's Adam's fault. But if a whale swallows you, <laughs> that's, that's not the natural disposition of this world, right? That doesn't happen normally, okay? So Jonah wasn't sitting. He was in rebellion to God, right? He was in rebellion to God, and God was sending literally a whale to turn him around and spit him back up on the, on the shore to give him, get him back to square one to do what he should have been doing in the first place. But Jonah was not sitting there and wondering, well, I'd really wonder if why this is happening. I really wonder if this is the Lord trying to correct me. Maybe this is just the general disposition of, of sin and ungodliness in this world. No, Jonah was told by the Lord that this is your sin. Repent of this sin. And he puts him back, the, the whale spits him out, and then he had the right to go repent of his sin. And then, of course, we know he had a bad attitude there in Nineveh and you know a lot of other problems and issues that Jonah had even after he did what he was supposed to do, okay? But God's, God will never leave his children as any good father would do, right? A, God, uh, a good father is not just going to whip his child and not tell him why you're being disciplined. A good father is going to notify you. And guess what? He's not going to even uh, chastise you the first time. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you, and then maybe three strikes and you're out. The fourth time is when discipline comes. But as any good father, he's going to tell his children why. So that they can make corrections. So Josiah is hearing the reading of the word of the Lord that says the reason why you're in the state you're in, the reason why Judah is in the state you're in, is because I said do this and you chose to do the opposite. Okay? But I want you to notice his response, okay? What was Josiah's response? Let's read in verse 24 first. They asked of the Lord mercy and forgiveness, and this is the answer of the Lord to them. Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. The it says in Galatians chapter 6, the Lord is not mocked. What you sow, that, that shall you also reap. God's not going to be mocked. At the end of the day, he's not going to be mocked. I will bring evil upon this place and upon all the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book. God said it, and he has to be true to his word. Because, you know, I have to do what I have to do as a holy, righteous God because of what you chose to do. You know, so don't blame God. Don't blame me. I have to do what I covenanted to do because you chose this path. 
because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched, okay? So Josiah's first response was to be notified and he was repentant. And the Lord said, I am going to send judgment. What ends up happening throughout the rest of Josiah and his reign is based on Josiah's response to this. Okay? Josiah responds in verse 26, As for the king of Judah, who sent to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Now I want you to notice what was God's pattern for healing of the land. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways. What was the very first thing that Josiah did? Because thine heart was tender. You know, that's another thing. Just in case that our conscience has been seared with a hot iron a little bit too much, we need to say, Lord, tender and prick our hearts if we've got a little bit too seared with a hot iron. How are you going to be humble to the point of repentance if your heart is hard instead of tender? So he says, first of all, your heart was tender. And what did that tender heart lead to? Humility. Thou didst humble thyself. See? First step. Humble thyself before God when thou heardest the words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. And you humbled yourself before me and you rended your clothes and weep before me. I have uh, even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon all the inhabitants of the same. God said, I'm not mocked. I'm not mocked. I will send judgment upon your people because of their sin, but because of the way that you responded, because of the way that Josiah responded, he said, I'm going to give you peace and prosperity in your day. Okay, now fast forward a little bit. I don't know if we'll really get there, but Josiah dies and his son, who is Jehoaz, his son Jehoaz, he reigned three months. He lived. Uh, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord immediately sends Egypt to afflict him. I want you to notice just how star... You know, I hope that you've been able to see this is a pretty simple formula, right? Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals chastisement. I mean, Josiah repented and he said, you, your fathers, not you, your fathers have lived in such a way that I will send wrath and judgment upon these people. But because of how you responded, because of how you are living, I will send peace and revival and blessing in your day. And when you die, I, I would say um, the Lord would give, to a degree, the same opportunity to the next generation. As long as we're obedient, and I want, I want us to understand this, particularly in the church and in the environment we're in in America, as long as we are repentant and obedient, I believe the Lord will stay judgment, the full judgment. You know, we talk about, oh, Americans going in the pot. And it is going in the pot for the most part. And there will come a time where America will fall, even if it's not uh, until the second coming of the Lord. But there will come a time for that. But we have, we've earned a lot of things that we have to reap because of what we've sown, especially the murder of 60 million babies over the last 50 years, okay? But 
God will stay judgment in our generation if we are repentant and obedient. What happens when Jehoaz takes reign? He has the option to follow his dad's leadership, doesn't he? And what would have happened? I think it would have been stayed even further. The Lord gave him three months. <laughs> the Lord gave him three months, and he chose to rebel against God in those three months, and what did God do? Okay, I have, I've been holding back. I've been holding back because of my children's repentance and their godliness. Now I'm going to open the floodgates because now the leadership and God's people are reverting back to disobedience. Do you see how clear and stark that line is? <laughs> it's so simple. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience always equals chastisement. But he tells Josiah, I will stay judgment in your lifetime because of your response, because of your humility. So, Josiah also displays great attributes of leadership during this time period. And we all have areas of influence where we have some degree of leadership to influence other people and to even affect their actions and their level of repentance, okay? Now, Josiah was in a unique situation because he was the king, right? He was able to influence the whole nation. But I want you to notice how his personal repentance, okay, Josiah's personal repentance, he didn't keep it to himself. He didn't keep what he knew to himself. He says, verse 28, behold, I will gather to thee and thy father. Well, actually, uh, verse 30. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Okay? So his response to knowing about the word of God was not to keep it to himself. Instead, he says, other people need to know about this. Other people need to know that we have disobeyed the Lord. Other people need to know that not only have we disobeyed, but God, if you keep on reading in all of those contexts, God always offers forgiveness, right? He always offers healing for repentance. So he does not keep his repentance and humility and conviction and and change of action. He does not keep it to himself. He tells other people about it. And he sets the tone, okay? Uh, it is so true in every organization I've ever been a part of. Now, I understand the church is different than the world, but the principle still applies to a degree. The No organization will ever rise above its leadership. No organization will ever rise above the tone at the top. Now, what should be the tone at the top? Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? You know? But it's evident that the body doesn't always do exactly what the head directs us to do. But I think a lot of the problem, priests are highlighted a lot in here, I think a lot of the problem with the church and the kingdom today is a part-time lackadaisical ministry. And I tell you, it's burned me up. It's burned me up to see the attitude of the generation before me that's just, I'm primarily focused on my secular career and I preach on Sundays and then show back up next week. That is not what the leadership in the kingdom is called to. And I think a lot of the problems in the kingdom is because of a lack of leadership in the kingdom. Now, just because you have a good leader doesn't always mean, doesn't always mean that you're going to have great followers either, okay? So it's two, sides, it's two sides of the coin. But if you don't have good leaders, you will never have a successful organization. And it, well, I'm talking about business. I'm talking about teams, sports, anything. I mean, even 
even the PTO. <laughs> I mean, no, no organization will ever rise above its leadership. And Josiah sets the tone as the leader of the people. Josiah sets the tone that the other people can follow. Okay? And that's the tone that the ministry has to set. That's the tone that myself as the pastor has to set. The leader sets the tone and he tells other people about it. And he holds himself and them accountable. Okay? One of the most important aspects of the local church is accountability. And that's why people don't like the church. That's why people want to log into an online live stream is because they don't have any accountability. The people that go to these mega churches that have thousands of people, their idea of church is not the Sunday worship of the megachurch, it's their little bitty small group. Why? Because in that small group, you can have personal relationships, personal connections, and accountability. Well, guess what? That's what the whole church is supposed to be. <laughs> okay? But one of the most important aspects of the structure of the local church is accountability. And we have to be willing to be honest with one another. It says in James, confess your faults one to another. You know, I want to know when somebody's having a health problem, I want to know when you're having issues, um, natural situations that arise in your life so I can pray for it. But if the other members of the church do not know what your spiritual struggles are, then we're not close enough as a church body. We need to know what the spiritual struggles of every single member of the church is so we can help them in that way. And God has set up his church in such an amazing way of spiritual gifts and giving these people these, these innate abilities to strengthen people spiritually. And he sets and strengthens his body to, to be able to provide for all of the needs of his people based on the spiritual gifts of other members of the church. But none of that matters if we don't know. Okay? And you have that relationship with someone, you're willing to express your spiritual struggles. And one of the blessings, people don't view it this way, but one of the blessings of the local church is to have that spiritual accountability. Okay? So the king, he's not just saying, hey, this is my personal conviction. This is what I'm going to choose to do. But you do your own thing. The king said and made a covenant with the people. We are going to hold, I'm going to hold myself accountable, number one, because that's what a leader does. A leader holds himself accountable first. You always got to take care of the beam in your own eye before you can worry about the moat in anybody else's. You hold yourself accountable first, but you also, he made a covenant before the Lord. He said, first of all, I'm holding myself accountable, and I want you to hold me accountable to my covenant and guess what? I'm going to do the same to you. You make a covenant, and I'm going to hold you accountable. Okay? The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul and to perform the words of the covenant which are written in the book. And I want you to understand what is the basis of the covenant and commitment that they made. The basis of it is the scriptures and the word of God. Okay? This is not just arbitrary accountability. It's accountability based on the word of God, okay? Based on scripture. And he caused, I, I love this language, verse 32, he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you accountable and I expect you to hold me accountable. Why? Because the reason that we're in the mess that we're in is because our fathers didn't hold one another accountable, right? <laughs> I mean, there should have been somebody that had the, the guts to stand up to the king and say, no, I mean, do you think the king would have been able if they just, I mean, I understand that that day you could probably, they could kill you, but you know what? I don't think too many kings are going to try to kill people if it's 200,000 to one, okay? So when they start saying, I'm going to put up a, I'm going to put up this altar to Baal. Well, you know what? If the people were, uh, if the people were 
committed to the word of God, I don't think he's going to put up that altar if 200,000 people are threatening him and saying, not, not just I'm going to physically hurt you, but you're not going to do this because we're not going to let the Lord uh, judge us because of your sin, you know? People want to blame leadership, but guess what? People are followers too. <laughs> they let it happen. I mean, yes, they had these bad, bad leaders, but they let it happen. Sometimes you got to be willing to, uh, to stand up to authority, even if it's uncomfortable. But the people, this would have, none of this, none of this would have ever happened in the past of Judah if the people were committed and said, King, I don't care if you want to worship Baal, we're not going to do it. <laughs> so everyone has to be committed to the word of God. And if that happens, then if one person strays, it doesn't deceive the whole church. It doesn't deceive the whole kingdom here. No, we discipline that one person who's erring because the rest of the people are standing true to the word of God, okay? So he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. I'm going to hold you accountable and you hold me accountable. The inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations of the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God and all his days. See, leadership, leadership under Josiah's, and, and what happened when that leadership was removed? His son immediately reverted back. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the story of the book of Judges, by the way, right? They have a good judge. Things are really good for like 20 or 30 years. That judge dies, a void of good godly leadership, and the people revert back to their sin, okay? Godly leadership is so vitally important. And all his days, all the days of Josiah, they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their... And you know what the Lord did? He stayed judgment, he gave them peace, and he gave them prosperity because of how these people responded, because of how this generation responded. Now, Josiah also establishes, okay, I want to highlight that this is uh, highlighted more in 2 Kings 23. We're not going to go over there for time's sake. But I want you to understand there were some things that, that Josiah got rid of because of his internal conviction of the laws that were in his heart. And there were other things that he got rid of because of him reading the word of God. Okay? These are primarily highlighted in the Second Kings account. But this is amazing to me, by the way. You would think that sodomy is something that Josiah, just as an internal conviction would have had a realization that this is wrong, okay? And not only sodomy, and we're not talking about secret sodomy. This is in 2 Kings 23 and in verse 7. They tore down the house of the sodomites, which was next to the house of God. And I want you to understand, even good godly people, even good godly people, because of their environment and because of the culture around them, cannot from time to time, uh, can cannot fully understand how bad something is if nobody tells them. And, and, and it's just amazing that Josiah, who was living a very good, godly life for the most part, for some reason it didn't click to him that it's wrong to have a house of the Sodomites right beside the temple. I want you to understand that. He got rid, this is uh, six years, six years of when he got rid of all the Baal worship and, and stopped the human sacrifice. For six years, the house of the Sodomites that was right next door to the temple, he was okay with it. His conscience was seared. But it took the word of the Lord being read for him to finally realize, oh my word, I can't believe that we have a house of the Sodomites right beside the church. And it's just amazing to me that it took the word of God for him to realize that. You would think that that was one of the things, you know, because it says that that is, 
that they men forsook the natural affection. You know, there's something inside of us that that makes us realize that that same sex relationship is unnatural. It's unnatural. So you would have thought that he would have realized that and realized that I need to get rid of that. But it wasn't until he read the word of God that he said, oh my, oh my word, I can't believe that we still have a house of sodomy right beside the temple. And took the word of God for him to get rid of that. And then the wizards, enchanters, and those who consulted familiar spirits. I mean, you would think that somebody would have a little bit of a concern that, you know, this is not something we need to really be involved in. But he didn't realize that until he read the word of God. I tell you, God's children in ignorance can make a lot of mistakes, right? I mean, this is a child of God that had internal conviction, but he didn't have the word of God, and he was okay with sodomy, and he was okay with, with, uh, with witchcraft. He tore down the stables for horses that were dedicated to the false gods. And that was right beside the house of the Lord. <laughs> so you have the temple right beside it. You have the house of the Sodomites. And then right beside that, you have horses that are dedicated to false gods. He got rid of the false gods, but for some reason, he didn't get rid of the horses that were dedicated to the false gods. You know? I mean, you would have thought, but like Josiah, you know, you should have figured this out. But it's amazing what we don't know until the word of God just plainly tells us, right? <laughs> That's amazing. And one of the most important things that Josiah did is that he reinstituted true worship of the Passover, okay? This is in 2 Chronicles 35. Josiah kept the Passover unto the Lord, and again, setting leadership that these people had not prepared appropriately he knew it was time for them to, for them to obey the passover but because they had not been planning appropriately it's a possibility that some of them may not have had a lamb to be able to offer on passover so what did the king do what did the king do Verse 7, Josiah gave to the people of the flock, lambs, and kids all for the Passover offerings for all that were present to the number of 30,000. He gave 30,000 sheep to the people, okay? He gave 30,000 sheep and 3,000 bullocks that were of the king's substance. This is my possessions, and he was willing to give of his own possessions so the other people, everyone else, could observe the Passover in the manner they should have been doing it. Because he knew if he said, hey, take up your own lambs, <laughs> they probably weren't as spiritually mature as they need to be yet, and they probably wouldn't have done it. We'll probably focus on this next week, Lord willing. There's no revival without radical repentance. I've sent that article to you. I hope that you've read it. But one of the aspects that I tried to emphasize in that is that there is no true repentance until it affects your finances and until it affects your pocketbook. There is no true repentance until it affects your pocketbook. And Josiah was willing to give 30,000 sheep of his own possession for the benefit of the kingdom as a whole. Okay? And it says... Uh, that it highlights that there was not a Passover that was held, I'm trying to find that verse. There was not a Passover that was held that was like unto that, verse 18, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 18. There was no Passover like unto that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel that were present and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know, it just tells you how people, based on the way that they were raised, based on the culture and the environment around them, they cannot understand that certain things are as big of a deal as they are. 
Because think about all the good kings that were before Josiah. Think about Hezekiah, Asa, these good kings. This says right here that they really didn't observe the Passover. Right? So these were good kings, and they did some stuff good. They still ignored the high places, but they ignored the feast days. You don't know what they also probably ignored? They probably ignored the Feast of First Fruits, where you were supposed to give of the first of your crop. Because we know that they, that they ignored, even during, <laughs> during the time that the land was supposed to remain dormant on that seventh year, to give the land rest, right? We've talked about that in the year of Jubilee. That was the reason why God sent them to Babylonian captivity. That stopped being observed in the time of the judges, Okay? You know what that means? That means David, Solomon, Asa, has even Josiah. Josiah, he ignored that. He ignored that. He, he read that in the word of the Lord, but he reigned for 31 years. What would that be? Um, four, at least four times. Well, he repented a little bit later. At least a couple times that they should have not had any crops on that seventh. But you know what? He didn't, he didn't enforce that. But we look at all these good godly kings and there were some aspects of God's law that they were not convicted enough to repent of and to obey fully. Even the good godly ones, right? Even David and so even Solomon and all that prosperity, they weren't observing the seventh year rest of the land. So I think that that should be very evident to us that there are some areas of all of our lives that we can just be blind to, that we don't realize. And Josiah did all of these things so well, but it's amazing that he performed this Passover, but even all the rest of the good godly kings, they dropped the ball on the Passover and all the other feast days. There were multiple other feasts. The feast of, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder. I feel like they were supposed to have the Day of Atonement, okay? If you look at all these different feasts, you're supposed to have the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, um, and Unleavened Bread. And there was supposed to be a Day of Atonement, which is the most important day. Well, there clearly was a period of time where they weren't able to observe. I mean, once you think about that, that that's, that's crazy, isn't it? That there was a period of time that instead of them, let's say in like Manasseh's day, instead of the priest going into the holiest of holies to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement to make sins of the people, what was sitting in the holiest of holies? An altar to Baal. An altar to Baal. So the Day of Atonement was supposed to be the annual reminder that it takes the blood of the Lamb for our sins to be remitted, pointing toward Christ, obviously. But there were many, many years, you would presume, that they did not even observe the Day of Atonement. That's amazing, isn't it? But by the way, how would you know to observe the Day of Atonement? if your parents didn't tell you and you haven't seen the Word of God, right? How would you know about that? You wouldn't. If your parents didn't tell you and you hadn't read the Word of God, how would you know that we're not doing it? So he reads the Word of God. He, he reinstitutes Passover. And the Lord was gracious to, um, to stay judgment in the life of Josiah. But... I want to highlight quickly as we're closing. Even children of God. Now, I understand Manasseh most likely was not born again when he was doing all this. Okay, just like, just like Paul, there was a long period of time that he was committing abject sin, but he didn't really understand because he wasn't born again what he was doing. But 
the Lord says in Josiah's day, I'm going to stay judgment. His son lives in rebellion and I immediately send wrath. But the final straw of why the Lord said, I will no longer stay judgment is because of the sins of Manasseh, who was a child of God, who repented later in his life. And it says in 2 Kings 23, this is commending Josiah, amazing commendation of the Holy Spirit right here. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses and neither after him arose there any like him. Well, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Solomon, David, all of them. He said, Josiah was at the top. But, and because of that, by the way, because of that, the Lord stayed judgment until after he was in the grave. But in spite of that, notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. The Lord said, I will remove Judah out of my sight as I removed Israel. It says in another place that Manasseh shed innocent blood more than anyone else in the history. And because of that, because of his shedding of innocent blood, the Lord would send judgment. Now, now there had been other men before him that had shed innocent blood, right? But Manasseh, who ended up being a child of God, was the one that the Lord said, okay, this is enough. This is enough. I'm going to send judgment. But I hope that you can see from Josiah's response. I mean, the only thing that we can control is how we respond based on the circumstances that are presented to us in a given moment. How do we respond with what we've been given? And Josiah couldn't control all of the wickedness that, that Manasseh had his granddaddy perpetuated for 55 years. He couldn't control that. But what he could control is how he responded when the Lord sent a message to call him to repentance. And how did he respond? His heart was tender. He humbled himself. And how was the land healed? This is the point that I've been trying to get to. How was the land healed? It was by one man's personal conviction and him saying, I am going to get rid of that because it, it shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be doing this. You know, we talked about the people of Haggai's day. 15 years sitting on their, sitting not doing anything. 15 years. Oh, the time for the Lord's house to be built is not there yet. It hasn't come yet. Well, how did the Lord end up building his house? That hammer that's been sitting on the ground for 15 years? Go pick up the hammer, right? That's how the land, how is, the, how is your house going to be built? <laughs> how's, the, how's the temple going to be built? That that hammer you've been ignoring for 15 years, go pick it up. And that's what Zerubbabel did. He picked it up. And then, again, a great example of leadership. Zerubbabel sets the example. And the, what, the, what happens? Surprise, surprise. The rest of the people follow his example of leadership. And Josiah does the same thing. He's in a position of leadership and a position of authority. And he says, I'm going to change what I have the ability to change. And you know what? You have some degree of influence that you can affect change in a position of leadership. If you're, uh, whether you're be in a position of a pastor or a deacon of a church, as a husband leading your family, as a wife teaching and instructing your children, as an older sibling, teaching and instructing your younger siblings as a manager in the workplace. We all have positions of leadership that we can set the tone for other people to follow, okay? The question is, how do we respond? We respond with humility and with repentance. And the Lord heals our land 
by us changing our actions. The Lord heals our land by the Lord heals the kingdom by his people being convicted and repenting and changes and, and having a greater commitment and devotion to Jehovah God in the future more than we have in the past. And may God bless us to do that by his grace and mercy. It all starts with humility. It all starts with humility, which will lead to repentance. And I pray the Lord will bless his kingdom in our generation, in our generation, according to his will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.